Well, it's funny you should mention cruise just a minute ago because I think a very popular holiday option for many people in recent years has been just that, of going on a cruise. Make sure we've got this going up and running. There we are. Fancy looking ship there, isn't it? Of course, one, I think one of the main attractions of going on a cruise is that, uh, you know, it's first of all, they're reasonably affordable, so I'm told. And once you pay your price, then all your accommodation and meals are all included. So you get on board and all that's kind of taken care of. I mean, you not only go to some lovely destinations around the place, but, you know, some, oftentimes the ship itself is a destination. There's so much to do on a cruise ship, I'm told. I haven't been on one, so I'm only going by what people tell me. But there are things like going on swing, going in swimming pools and water slides and stuff like that. There are sporting activities and, uh, and entertainment in the form of shows and movie cinemas and things. I mean, you can laze around on a lounge, you know, in a, and, or in a, uh, in a spa or things like that. You can do things like playing mini golf. You wouldn't want to chip the ball too high, otherwise you'd probably disappear into the ocean. Do craft classes and they even have fantastic kids clubs. Wow, sounds like a great holiday, doesn't it? Sounds like a pretty awesome holiday, providing you don't get seasick, like me. (laughs) Caters to all ages, and it caters to all tastes. An aircraft carrier, though, is an entirely different kind of a ship. Mm. You don't get to go on one of these for a holiday... Because it's not a leisure boat. In fact, it's a, it's a ship that is designed for battle. Its main purpose is to take the war or the fight to the enemy. You might ask, well, what on earth do cruise ships and aircraft carriers have to do with us this morning as the people of God, as the church? Well, I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> Many of us, we already know that the church is actually meant to be God's chosen instrument by which he takes his message of good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to a lost and broken world. The church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. We are commissioned as Christ's representatives, as his followers, to tell others about his glorious kingdom. We call and to call them to be a part of it. That's our mission. And not only are we to tell them, but we're actually to demonstrate in our lives what it's like to live as part of God's kingdom, how good it is to be a part of Christ's family. Here in this psalm this morning, in Psalm 67, the writer begins with these words, asking God to be gracious to his people and to bless them. Listen again. Verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. It's interesting that this is very reminiscent of Aaron's blessing back in Numbers chapter chapter 6. If you want to flip back there just for a moment in your uh, Bibles, just back to the uh, the fourth book in the uh, Old Testament. Numbers chapter 6. And right at the end of the chapter, you read these words. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus 
You shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That was how God used his leaders to bless the people of Israel in that particular format. Let me read you to Psalm 67 and verse 1 again and see if you can pick up the familiar words. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. The writer, I think, is thinking back to this particular blessing that God had given to his people through Aaron, through the priesthood. And the, the writer is asking God to be gracious to his people, to bless them and for his face to shine upon them. Now, a shining face, I don't know if you've ever sort of really thought much about that before. You know how sometimes you say to people that their face actually literally, you know, it shines? Yes, you ever sort of heard that saying before? A few, of it, yeah, a few, a few nods of the heads. A shining face implies favour or kindness, doesn't it? It, in, it implies warmth and friendliness. And so the writer of the psalm is sort of, you know, really wanting God to actually show warmth and friendliness, kindness and goodness to his people. It's the opposite of, of an angry face or a scowling face. See, the, God, the psalmist here is wanting God to be, you know, to show his people his graciousness and his goodness and to provide for them in all of their needs. Sounds pretty, pretty familiar to our own prayers, doesn't it? I mean, we often ask God to bless us. We might ask God to bless us, meaning we want him to help us to succeed at things in our lives, whatever that may be. Maybe it's to pass an exam or to get a job or to make our lives more comfortable or to rescue us from a difficult situation or you know, to give us what our hearts really are wanting at that particular point in time. We ask God to bless us and bless those things that are dear to us. Now, in and of itself, that's not such a bad thing. But let me read to you the next verse. Because the psalmist is actually asking God to be gracious to his people and bless them for a particular reason. And we see that in verse 2 where it says, So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. See, the central theme of this particular psalm is of the praise of God coming from the hearts and lives of people who have been touched by his goodness. In many ways, this particular psalm is really wanting God to bless his people so that they themselves can then take that blessing that they have received from God and go and bless others by showing them how good God is, by showing them how great God is, by showing them how loving and caring and and devoted God is to those whom he loves. In many ways, this psalm is a missionary psalm. For it seeks for the nations of the world to want to come to know God and the great blessing it is of being called his children. In other words, they want 
the, the, the psalmist essentially is really asking that people might come to hear the message of the good news of the gospel and respond to it and be saved. I want you just to uh, divert your eyes in this direction over this wall over here to this uh, lovely poster. And it reads, Missions, the heartbeat of God, put together by our missions committee and they do a fantastic job in, uh, in uh, promoting missions in our church. But think about that for the moment. Missions is the heartbeat of God. In other words, God's purpose or God's desire, the heart of God is really around rescuing and reconciling people to himself so that they might be blessed in relationship with him. That is the heartbeat of God and God's desire is that all people might come to know him and respond to his love in order that they might experience that life with him in all, in all its fullness, to be recipients of his grace and blessing, just like you and I have. Trouble is, though, is that so often we put a full stop at the end of verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Full stop. You're asking what cruise ships and aircraft carriers have to do with our message this morning? Well, when we put a full stop at the end of that sentence, where we just focus on may God bless us and be gracious to us and make his face shine upon us, then in reality that is what we might call a cruise ship mentality. A cruise ship mentality. Because we see the church about being all about us. Now you might say, well, really? I don't really think that's the case. Well, let me ask you this question. Why do you come to church? And why do you come to this church? Is it because we place an emphasis on biblical preaching? I hope it is. Is it because we put on a good service on a Sunday morning? Is it because... We have great children's and youth ministries and other ministries in the church. Is it because you have friends here? Is it because we have great morning teas and serve good coffee? So I'm told. <laughs> Is it because you feel comfortable here? You like the people? Now, many of those reasons are valid reasons. Of course, the most important being of which the biblical preaching one being here and attending this church let me say this that I believe the real reason we should all be attending church here is this is, is, is this church helping you to carry out the mission God has called you to is this church helping you to carry out the mission God has called you to reaching the lost with the gospel and making disciples of all nations is that the reason you should attend this church? That should be our primary reason. And the other question you should ask yourself is this. Is, is this church equipping you for this mission and is it assisting you in this mission? 
because we should be doing that. So, why is it that we come to church? Interesting question to ask, isn't it? Christians today are more interested in finding a church that's just about meeting their needs. You know, a church that perhaps helps make their lives more comfortable, that caters to their desires. You know, ministries that cater to them. Sermons that they like. Worship styles that appeal. Is church more about you rather than God and his purposes? That's a cruise ship mentality. And folks, that kind of mentality is not the kind of mentality God wants us to have. I want us to be thinking in this cruise ship mindset. But what we see so often today in churches is this. But people are getting tired of churches and are moving between churches because churches get to the point where they feel as though they just don't meet their needs anymore. Oh, I don't like what you know, I don't like the fact that the church is singing these kinds of songs anymore. I don't like the fact that the church is doing this or doing that. I don't like the fact that, you know, my needs aren't being met anymore. News flash, folks, the church is not about here to meet your needs but about us being the people of God and to be on mission for him. And when people get disillusioned or bored because the church no longer meets their, meet their needs, well, they go looking for a better cruise ship. I mean church. The former US President John F. Kennedy was once quoted as saying, ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country you might have heard that before that particular quote as the people of God we need to ask ourselves not what God can do for us because essentially God has already blessed us in the greatest way possible by saving us through Jesus Christ so we shouldn't be asking what God can do for us but more so what we can do for him that was the Apostle Paul's mindset. The letter to Romans, we've just been going through a series in Romans that we sort of, uh, we've taken a bit of a, uh, a hiatus for the, for the moment. But right at the beginning of, of Rome, Romans, Paul says, because of the fact that God has actually really touched his life and helped him to see his need for forgiveness and brought him into a, a relationship with himself, Paul then goes on to say, I am obligated... I am obligated to both Jews and to Greeks or Gentiles to take the message of the good news of salvation to those to those people that they might hear the love of, that God has for them and respond to it in repentance and faith. Paul says, I don't have a choice in this. I am obligated because of what God has done for me. In a letter to the Corinthian church, he talks about the fact that he is compelled, that Christ's love compels him to go and take the message of the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ to the world. 
Like the Apostle Paul, we are both obligated and compelled because of what God has done for us. As a church leadership, we believe that our primary purpose as a church is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in order to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and so on and so on and so on so that more and more people will come to have the praise of God in their hearts and on their lips. So we need to get away from this cruise ship mentality and instead have an approach that is more like that of an aircraft carrier. Now, an aircraft carrier is a military ship. In fact, it is a floating airbase. And its purpose is to be a fighting ship. It takes the fight to the enemy. And we, as God's people ourselves, are to be taking the fight to the enemy, the devil and his, and his ways in our world. We are to take the fight to him every week, every day of every week. Our church life is not to be one of leisure, characterised by the cruise ships, but instead one of battle readiness and action. That's who we are called to be as the people of God. And we need to view this church as a place where you are readied, where you are refueled, where you are rearmed for the battle and then relaunched out into the battle for the week to come. We need to be a place where you are engaged, where you are equipped, where you are encouraged and you are supported to be Christ's man or woman, boy or girl in the places where God has placed you. And in that, to carry out his mission of rescuing and reconciling people to himself so that they themselves can know the blessing of what it is like to live with him, with Jesus, as saviour and king. That's the heart of the psalmist here in this psalm. He says, God, be gracious to us and bless us and make, his, and make your face to shine upon us so that, in order that, for the purpose of your way being known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. And twice the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. There's going to come a day when Christ returns, every knee is going to have to bow before Christ. As king. They're going to have to bow before him and declare him as king of kings and lord of lords. Some will do that freely and joyfully. Others will do that knowing that the fact that Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and that they have rejected him throughout their lives, that they will no longer be a part of, that they will not be a part of his eternal kingdom. They will be shut out of God's kingdom into the darkness. We as the people of God have been given this incredible mission and Christ's promise that as we go about his mission he will be with us 
and his Holy Spirit who is in us will enable us and equip us for that mission. You know, when Christ, just before he, uh, he uh, died, he said to his disciples that he was going to send them a help of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this Holy Spirit will not only, you know, sort of help you to understand the things of God, but also the Holy Spirit will actually give you the words to say when you're actually brought before kings and rulers and people like that, you know, in, in terms of, you know, giving evidence of your faith. He'll actually give you the words to say so that you will be my witnesses, Jesus says. So often we, particularly in our country today, we are living in a, in a state of fear as Christians. We live in a state of fear because we're afraid of what the world will think of us. We're afraid of what the world will say about us. And so we retreat. Folks, it's time for the church to actually start to stand up more and more. It's okay for everyone else in the world to have an opinion. Guess what, folks? It's okay for us to have our opinion too. And we've got the truth. And we've got the good news. And the message that we've got actually sets captives free. And it opens the eyes of the blind. And it heals the lame and the cripple. We've got an incredible message. And we've got an awesome and amazing saviour in Jesus Christ. And next week we're going to be looking at the fact that you know Jesus says that you know he is going to build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We can we can confidently stand on what we believe because what we believe is true. It is the truth. It's the reality. In John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, it's the account of the the disciples immediately following the death of Jesus. Let me read it to you for a moment. This is on the Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, here we are, the disciples carrying fear. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, for if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus came to his his followers who were locked behind locked doors in fear. And he comes to them and he says, Peace be with you. In fact, he says that twice. Peace be with you. That term for peace is the the Hebrew word shalom. It means to wish the best for that person or to to have their well-being as your concern. And in saying this to his disciples, Jesus declares to them that his peace is upon them. Jesus himself has got their best at heart. He wants their well-being. But he knows that their well-being 
is tied up intricately with the fact of trusting him and being obedient to him and following him. And so he says, The peace, my peace is upon you. The blessing of reconciliation with God is upon you. Life with him is now yours. He is on your side. Remember the sermon from last week? If God is for us, who can be against us? He then goes on to repeat the blessing. Peace be with you. And then he says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The Father has sent me to be the one who secures this peace and I am sending you to take this message of peace with God to the world to have their well-being at heart. And so Jesus' mission, the one that he was sent to do, becomes the model for our mission. As, As Jesus was obedient to the Father, to God, We ourselves need to be obedient to God. Sometimes I catch myself thinking as I perhaps sing songs here on a Sunday morning or perhaps sit at my desk during the week and whether it be preparing messages or having my own quiet time and things like that. I think to myself, do I really believe God is indeed God? Do I really believe that he is indeed the creator of all things, the one who is all-powerful, all-holy, all-righteous, all-loving, Because if God is God, I believe that. Then surely I need to submit myself completely to him as the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who has all authority. Do you sometimes ask yourself that question? If God really is who he is, then that means for me that I have to submit. I have to bow. I have to humble myself. I have to surrender. I can't treat God like he's just this imaginary kind of figure or this kind of you know, person who's kind of out there somewhere. I've actually got a treat God as though he is the one who actually has all authority over everything about my life. Jesus' mission is the model of ours. He was obedient to God. We ourselves must bow the knee and be obedient to God. Jesus' mission was to make God's kingdom and God's will his priority. Our mission is to make God's kingdom and God's will our priority. Jesus' mission was to lay down his life for others so that they may be blessed. 
our mission is to lay down our lives for Jesus as he laid down his for us so that we ourselves may be a blessing to God and others. Folks, our lives on this earth today are not to be characterised by comfort, sacrifice, a willingness to surrender ourselves to God and his mission. God's heart beats for mission. God's heart beats for people. What does our heart beat for? What is our heart's desire? Are we still looking for that cruise ship? <laughs> rather be on the aircraft carrier. I know which one may be more appealing, but I know the one... morning we are challenged again about our relationship with you we're challenged again about the kind of God you are and we're challenged again about the kind of life we're looking to live yes we do really want your graciousness to be shown to us we really want your blessing to be upon us and we really want your face to shine upon us in our lives but Lord help us not to desire that just for our own benefit but more so for the fact that as we receive this abundant blessing from you we become channels of blessing to those around about us Lord, we pray as we come around the communion table now that we will be reminded afresh of your great love shown to us through our Saviour Jesus Christ, that he came and gave his life for us to pay for our sins, that we might be reconciled to you, that we may walk in newness of life with you, and we might be recipients of the great blessing it is to know you and be known by you. Lord, help us as we come around the communion table this morning to also recognise the fact that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be like him and he himself set us the example of laying down his life for you and for others. So we have an opportunity this morning as we partake of these elements to again come before you and submit our lives afresh to you today. Lord, help us to use this time as a, an opportunity to respond to you in gratitude and thanksgiving, but also in a renewed commitment and dedication to you, to your kingdom to your will and to your mission we pray that you might bring our hearts into line with your heart that just as your heart beats for people and for mission that as your people we our hearts would beat for those same things
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stewards like to come forward.